I want to welcome you to um, the next in our series of webinars that are coming out of the research that's being done by the Confirmation Project. Uh, we're a Lilly Endowment funded research project that's studying confirmation and equivalent practices in five denominations. Um, my name is Katie Douglas. I'm the director with Rick Osmer of this um, grant and this research project. It's housed at Princeton Seminary, but we have the um, benefit of working with researchers, uh, both professors and ministers and graduate students from a variety of seminaries. And today, Kate Siberini is joining us from Virginia Theological Seminary, where she will graduate with an MDiv in five days. Her master's thesis was on youth confirmation and intergenerational mentoring. So um, her research for that thesis took place within um, the context of our project, which has been a really exciting um, part of our project. Um, you can uh, learn about a lot of our other webinars at um, theconfirmationproject.com. Right now, our survey has closed, which is exciting, so we're starting to analyze our findings. Um, I want to tell you a little bit more about Kate. Not only did she do research on confirmation, but this past year she's been teaching confirmation to a group of youth who will be confirmed this weekend. Um, which is very exciting. <laughs> Hopefully you'll share some examples about how that's gone um, throughout your presentation this morning. And um, in, um, I think I mentioned maybe in a month she's going to be getting married and then moving to Portland to start a chaplaincy program in Portland, Oregon. Um, during our webinar, if you've participated before, you'll know that um, there's going to be on the upper left sidebar of your screen a little um, chat box that says Q&A. And throughout the webinar, you're welcome to type into that chat box and I will collect the questions. And then at the end of Kate's presentation, I'll pose them to her throughout. She might, I've heard she might um, also ask everyone to just send in some feedback or um, thoughtful commentary or reflection on questions that she has for us. We're so happy you're here with us, Kate, um, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to learning about your insights about mentoring and confirmation. And I'll let you have the, the screen, the floor. Thanks, Katie. Well, hello, webinar participants. As Katie said, I'm Kate Siberini, and I am really excited to talk with you a little bit about intergenerational mentoring and youth confirmation. Since I've been thinking about this a lot lately and talking to myself about it quite a bit, it's great to talk to other people. So let's see. Could we head to the first slide? And just to let you know, Kate, the small screen will become big, even though it'll stay small on your screen. Sorry. Oh, that's helpful. Thank you. Okay. So I first got started thinking about mentoring around confirmation as part of this confirmation project, this five denomination research study. Um, I have been traveling around the country interviewing different confirmands, mentors, program leaders, parents, um, and asking them about this experience of claiming their own discipleship. And the first question I usually get every place I go is, okay, what curriculum should we use? Which I get. I mean, that makes a lot of sense when you oftentimes have been you know, you've discovered that you're leading confirmation and, oh my gosh, you know, how are you going to teach these teenagers all the things they know to learn about Jesus and claim their faith? There's a lot of pressure to find a good curriculum. But what I've found in meeting with, with confirmands and the people who love and support them around the country is that while curriculum and content, yes, are important, what really makes the biggest impact um, is relationship, is um, especially these mentoring relationships. So moving to the next slide, um, one of the teens that I talked with for a, uh, a portrait sort of written um, story of a, of a confirmation site that's doing 
particularly incredible things at uh, St. Michael and All Angels in Colorado Springs, which is an Episcopal church. Um, she had just finished telling me about how she'd gone rock climbing the previous day with her mentor. And when I asked her, you know, what, what do you hope to get out of confirmation? She said, I just hope that it'll help me start to build a relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus and God, because it's a really hard thing to start if you're just thinking about it by yourself. And it's really good to connect with people and to try to build on that throughout your life. So I feel like it's really a start or more deep thinking about religion. Like it's not just go to class, get confirmed and be done, but it's really the start of making your religion the center of your life and really helping it drive you. So she really got me thinking about this relationship piece. Oftentimes when we think about confirmation, it's okay, what do we need to teach these kids? You know, how can we teach them more about scripture? How can we teach them more about our particular denomination? Um, when, when really our practice of, of confirmation, of claiming our discipleship is grounded in relationship. And the way, the way we learn to live our faith is not by learning about God or learning about faith, but being in relationship with God and seeing God in our relationships with other people. Um, and that's why this passage from Philippians has been sort of a, a guiding, um, a guiding light in the midst of my research and thinking about confirmation and mentoring. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me and the God of peace will be with you. That there is something about this mentoring, this modeling that is so essential to the practice of our faith. So I've been throwing out this word quite a bit and if we could move to the next slide, that would be great. What is a mentor? So in a lot of mentoring literature when people are like, okay, but you know, what is this mentoring business and how does someone become a mentor? Um, and how do I be a mentor? What's usually recommended is um, thinking about who's been a mentor to you? Who in your life has been a role model, a guiding relationship? So Katie mentioned that um, I might ask you some questions because it's very strange to just talk to a blank screen. So I'm going to sort of have you participate as we go along. Um, so I would love for you to just take a moment and reflect on who is someone who's been a mentor to you in your faith. And what was something about them that made them an especially excellent or uniquely awful mentor? Um, and if you could just write a sentence on that and post it to the group chat, that would be great. And I think we'll go a long way towards driving our conversation later in the program. So while you're thinking about that, what is a mentor? So mentoring something that's experienced this huge growth in popularity in the last few decades, both in sacred communities and in secular communities, the National Mentoring Alliance, who's the big name in mentoring research, um, over the last 20 years, from their calculations, the number of youth served by mentoring programs in the U.S. has jumped from 300,000 to 4.5 million. Um, and it's something that we're also seeing pop up in a lot of our confirmation curriculum. I, um, I'm part of the Episcopal tradition, and more and more of our confirmation curriculum, especially um, our, our sort of older curriculum as they're coming out with new reboots, have started adding in a mentoring program, which I just found really, really fascinating. So mentoring is sort of like the cool new thing, um, if you're into trendiness. But it's, it's not actually a new thing. I mean, mentoring is something that's been around since, you know, the Greek philosophers passed down knowledge. Jesus taught his gathered disciples. 
Renaissance craftsmen took on apprentice, apprentices. Uh, mentoring throughout history has really been a primary social mechanism that allowed young people to enter into adulthood. So Chap Clark um, in Starting Right talks about adolescence as a tightrope, where on one end of this tightrope, you have your, your childhood, and on the other end, you have adulthood. Now, this tightrope has gotten longer and longer and longer, you know, now that it used to be adolescence was like, you know, from 14 to 16 and a half. And now adolescence in 2016 is usually ranging somewhere between 11 and 30 years of age. So this is a really long tightrope. But on one end of this tightrope, you have identity based in family. You have sort of this, um, the, the faith that you've inherited from your parents. Your primary source of identity is your family system. And at the other end, you have sort of your individual identity. Um, and I want to be really clear, it's not that, you know, you were attached to your family and then you walk across this tightrope and then you're, you're like, you're a totally self-sufficient, independent person because we know from our scripture and our lives in God that that is not how it works. Actually, the, this process of identity formation, what's often called individuation, is really about acknowledging interdependence. Um, and as young teenagers moving into older teenagers start to try to figure out, okay, who, who am I on my own and who am I in relationship with other people? Um, and they can't rely on their family in the same way to provide identity. Um, the importance of adults who are willing to journey with them to be sort of the balance on the midst of what can be this really can feel especially for teenagers like this really high stakes sort of crazy tightrope you know over piranhas um adults who walk with them can really help this process um go a little bit more smoothly um, and can help young people figure out, okay, who's God calling me to be? What, what is my ministry? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Um, and as we sort of think about confirmation, there's sort of this um, as sort of a claiming of one's identity as a disciple, which was created in baptism, we have this sort of parallel shift from godparents who were oftentimes family members or close family friends who stand up on a child's behalf and say, I will raise them um, to be disciples. And then in confirmation, you start to, in many traditions, you have either presenters or sponsors who stand up with confirmands. Um, not to say I'm going to make these promises on your behalf, but that I have walked with this young person and they are ready to claim their mature faith, their mature discipleship. So it's, it's sort of part of this natural progression. So I talked about godparents as oftentimes um, family or family friends. Um, and oftentimes, in, in the past and in other cultures, mentors have usually been non-parental relatives, so aunts, uncles, grandparents, older siblings. Um, but in sort of modern mainstream American culture where families are often scattered around the country, where um, you're not going to necessarily have this close network of extended family in all situations, more and more, um, it's teachers, coaches, youth ministers um, who take on this mentoring role with young people. Um, and, and I think the, the church has a really important role to play in helping young people figure out who they are um, and walking with them in that process. So next slide.
so there are as many definitions of mentoring within the social science literature as there are people who want to write definitions. Um, and, and just, you know, everybody brings their own particular lens to what mentoring is and what it means. But in this great review of all mentoring literature since the 1980s, um, Michael J. Karcher and David L. Du Bois um, in their handbook of youth mentoring created this sort of composite um, definition, which I've found to be really helpful. So what is mentoring? Um, apart from our own particular individual experiences of mentoring, um, what does mentoring mean within social science literature? So first, the mentor is someone with greater experience or wisdom than the mentee. So the mentor is someone who has been where the, where the mentee has been before. They've walked this path and they're willing to sort of meet the mentee where they are and walk with them on this journey. So second, the mentor offers guidance or instruction that's intended to facilitate the growth and development of the mentee. You'll notice that it doesn't say that the mentor will have all of the answers that the mentee needs to learn, but that because of their experience, the mentor is able to sort of offer a framework of processing that can help the mentee. And then third, there's an emotional bond between a mentor and mentee, a hallmark of which is a sense of trust. It is really difficult to learn from a mentor if you don't trust them. There's not much that can really come out of that relationship. And while some of you might have written in about mentors that, you know, maybe it, it was a they were really bad mentors it wasn't a good fit um and you can learn about okay like what what went wrong and um and what um what can i learn about myself from that um but it's these sort of lasting relationships built on trust that tend to have the most positive impact next slide please So mentoring has become a really big thing in the social science literature, which is wonderful. Um, and I think important for us in sort of the spiritual realm to, to pay attention to as it's become more and more of um, a helpful practice in the larger world. I just saw a video of President Obama meeting with his mentee, which is a pretty cool thing. Um, But um, what does this sort of popularity and writing in the social science literature around mentoring have to teach us in the church? I mean, what does mentoring actually have to do with proclaiming the gospel? What does it have to do with our relationship with Jesus Christ? Um, and it's been really wonderful to spend time with scripture and see just the many, many, many places that mentoring is, um, is present and is um, the way that, uh, that the faith is passed down. So I wanted to, to bring the parable of the Good Samaritan, which I'm sure all of you have heard many, many times and heard many, many sermons on or given many sermons on. Um, but I, I'm really intrigued by this command at the end. So at the beginning, the, the lawyer stands up and says, you know, I've, I've read the law and I see that there's this commandment to love the Lord. And what, is, what does it actually mean for my life? What do I do with that? I know, I know the rules, but how do I live that out? Um, and Jesus tells the story um, of what, what it means to actually live out the law um, and then asks him to go and do likewise. And I feel like mentoring um, sort of these telling through stories and example um, by walking alongside um, was so much of what Jesus did with his disciples. Um, and it's not just present in, in the life of Christ, but also in, um, 
So Edward C. Sellner, who's a big figure in, um, in spiritual mentoring, talks about Isaiah as sort of, and God's self-emptying and willingness to heal us through his wounds, God bringing good news and binding up broken hearts, um, as all examples of, of a God who, um, by showing us the way, um, asks us to go and do likewise. So next slide. So Selner, um, who wrote Mentoring the Ministry of Spiritual Kinship, and if you are going to start a mentoring program within your confirmation, within your, uh, within your congregation, I definitely recommend reading this book. It's not too long and it's very good. Um, so he describes, okay, so there's social science mentoring and then there's spiritual mentoring, this subset. And he describes spiritual mentoring as an age old Christian tradition, a calling and a gift more common than perhaps previously thought. It depends more on mutuality, reciprocity and friendship than direction given from the top down or a relationship with someone who supposedly has all the answers while the other is only a passive recipient of such wisdom. Um, for a lot of folks I've talked to in confirmation, their experience of confirmation class was like, all right, here are the creeds. This is the catechism. These are the things that you need to know to be confirmed. Um, and, and this sort of definition of spiritual mentoring pushes back on that a bit. It's not just about giving someone the answers from the top down, but about entering into relationship with them and guiding them on their journey. Um, and there's also this piece about, um, you know, often, oftentimes when I ask someone like, who is a spiritual mentor? They name people like Desmond Tutu um, or Pope Francis. And it's sort of this like, okay, to be a spiritual mentor is like, is so unattainable. It's something for like five people who are super saintly to do. And for the rest of us, there's no way we could pull it off because we don't have all the answers. So clearly we can't be good spiritual mentors. And what Selner is really trying to express, um, I think quite beautifully, is that um, this is a gift that all Christians have, that all any of us can offer up is our own journey and our own relationship with God. Um, and it's actually by offering that up that we form Christians. Next slide, please. So formal mentoring versus natural mentoring. Um, in sort of the initial question, who's been a mentor to you, you might have listed someone who maybe like you never had a formal mentoring relationship. You, um, you looked up to them, they were a guide to you, but you never sat down and said, okay, you are my mentor and we're going to meet five times over the next 10 weeks and, and you will teach me all I need to know. It, it was more just sort of this natural evolution. Um, and that sort of falls in the realm of natural mentoring. Whereas you have formal mentoring, which tends to be a little bit more structured. And this is sort of a helpful distinction to think about in terms of confirmation. You might be at a small parish or at a parish that just rocks at intergenerational ministry. And you might say like, okay, you know, I've, I really want to do mentoring, but that feels weirdly formal because like all of our young confirmands already have these guiding relationships with, with adults in the congregation. Um, and to sort of, Formalized, that would feel a little bit, a little bit unnatural, a little bit forced. Um, if you have something good with natural mentoring going in your congregation already, do that. Um, but for um, for those of you in larger uh, congregational communities, where let's say you know your youth generally hang out, like they've been a part of age-based Sunday school, and now they're in youth group and they're in confirmation, and they're mostly hanging out with their peers, which is really important, but maybe they don't have a lot of relationships with adults in the community outside of, you know, family members and close family friends. 
So you might want to implement more of a formal mentoring program that has some, some structure, some parameters, um, where there's a matching process. And we're going to get into some of those best practice details in a little bit. Next slide, please. OK, mentor is model. I imagine about now you're probably thinking like, OK, so clearly you're really enjoying this whole mentoring business. But like, how does mentoring actually work? Um, so as going back to some great social science research, um, Doug Oman and Carl Thorlson came out with this article in 2012, um, arguing that mostly people's learned spiritual behaviors, behaviors like compassion, forgiveness, devotion, um, they don't necessarily come from sort of reading about them or learning about them in the class, but they come by seeing those behaviors, that compassion, forgiveness, devotion modeled by people um, who they were in relationship, people within their community. Um, so as in our scripture passage um, from the parable of the Good Samaritan, it's it's not just like knowing the law, it's it's seeing it lived out. We figure out how to live our faith by seeing other people live theirs and by being in relationship with those people. Um, I feel like spirituality is is really, really difficult, if not totally impossible to, to teach in the abstract with some sort of like instruction manual. Um, but the very nature of, of God revealed in Jesus Christ is that, um, that our faith needs to be made incarnate, that, um, that we encounter God in the flesh um, through our relationships. So what do these relationships need to look like? Um, is it just sort of like, you know, I see this person at coffee hour after church, or is it something more, um, more defined? Um, studies have found that these mentoring relationships are the most positively impactful um, if it's a relationship with a trusted adult and if it's a long-term relationship. Um, if you have a confirmation program that meets for three Sundays and you have the mentor meet um, with the confirmand mentee each one of those Sundays, those three weeks are probably not going to be long term enough to make a huge impact. It still might be worth doing, um, and I think is, but I would invite you to think about how, um, how mentoring can be more of a long-term process, especially, you know, as we talked about at the beginning, since this process of adolescence where you're on the tightrope trying to figure out who you are can last anywhere between, you know, 11 years old and 30 years old. Having a three-week mentor in the middle of that um, and claiming one's own discipleship um, does make an impact, but think about how much stronger that impact could be if um, if the relationship had more time to grow and blossom. Um, one really important thing, I think, for mentor as model, so, so what is the mentor modeling by giving up sort of the time that they could be spending watching football or mowing the lawn? Um, to, to spend with this teen confirmand, um, one of the things that the mentor is teaching their, um, their confirmand is that um, our identity goes beyond just ourself, uh, that, that within our Christian tradition, there is this self-giving love um, that isn't just based on family relationship, but that we as the church support each other. And the mentor, um, just by nature of being a mentor, is modeling that self-giving love for the confirmand. Um, and as a young person is figuring out their own identity, their identity just not you know, as, a, as an individual person, but as an inter interdependent member of the body of Christ, um, I think that 
mentoring relationship can go a long way for um, for making that idea, which is so present within our scriptures and our tradition, um, it can really make that flesh. So next slide, please. Okay, mentoring as mutually beneficial. I love this Parker, Parker Palmer quote. Um, this is in a courage to teach, and it recently came up in an on being column a few weeks ago, which got me really excited. Um, so he talks about mentors and apprentices are partners in an ancient human dance. And one of teaching's great rewards is the daily chance it gives us to get back on the dance floor. It is the dance of the spiraling generations in which the old empower the young with their experience and the young empower the old with new life, reweaving the fabric of the human community as they touch and turn. So mentoring is and must be mutually beneficial, um, which is not to say that you know mentors need to go into their mentoring relationship and it's like, what's in this for me? Like I just talked about, it's the self-giving love that's being modeled. Um, but um, it's something that mentors get a lot out of as well. And I've seen that at every site I've visited that has had a mentoring program where mentors say, you know, this has changed the way that I read scripture, the way that I understand my faith. This has changed the way that I interact with young people. This changes the way that I understand my my own growth and development. Um, mentors get a lot out of out of mentoring, which is a really great and exciting thing. Um, and there's a little bit to actually back this up. So Eric Erickson, um, big name in development. So in his book, Vital Involvement for Old Age. He talked about mentoring is part of um, generativity with, or the care for society of the next generation, which is sort of the stage for middle to late adulthood. Um, that adults really need to give back in order to maximize their own development where they are on their stage of the journey. So it's it's this really wonderful, um, wonderful pair where a young person um, needs to be mentored and an older person needs to mentor. Um, and they, that both people in this relationship have something to learn and both people in this relationship have something to teach. So next slide. Okay, so mentoring you're you've heard me say for about a half an hour mentoring hugely important um, as part of a process for a young person claiming their own identity as disciple of jesus um, but you know i imagine many of you tuned in because you run confirmation programs and while these all sound like great ideas like okay but how do we actually like live this out and you know, I've got six kids that I've got to get confirmed, um, and how am I going to do that? So I would love to recommend to you elements of effective practice for, for mentoring. It is in the bottom corner of this slide. Um, it's part of the um, literature put out by the National Mentoring Alliance, who are the big, big, big sort of research and advocacy name in, in mentoring. Um, and they put out um, sort of recommended best practices, which are really easy to follow and just create a, if you're like me and love lists that you can check off, they create an amazing checklist in terms of like, okay, so I think mentoring is important. How do I actually implement that into my program? So uh, we're gonna be going through over the next few minutes, these best practices um, and what's more, you don't need to reinvent the wheel. Um, so many confirmation programs are coming out with mentoring components, which follow these best practices. Um, so like I said, Episcopalian, so I'm most familiar with Episcopal resources, but of the big names for our confirmation curriculum, uh, we've got Confirm Not Conform and My Faith, My Life, which have really important 
mentoring components. And then Will Williman in the Methodist tradition, um, I've spent a lot of time looking at his stuff, um, created a program called Making Disciples, which is great for small churches because the entire confirmation program is based on mentoring, um, where the mentor gets a, a journal and guide and the confirmant gets a, a journal and guide and they walk together on this confirmation journey. Um, and it can work really well in a community where maybe you don't have, you know, 12 confirmands to make sort of this critical group mass. Um, so there's a huge number of, of confirmation programs that already offer mentoring components. And these best practices can be a good checklist as you're reviewing, like, okay, what curriculum do I want to use? And where are some areas that maybe this mentoring could use a little bit of um, supplementing? So best practices and steps for a solid mentoring program within your confirmation preparation. Step one, recruitment. Recruit appropriate mentors and mentees by realistically describing the program's aims and expected outcomes. Um, first off, I mean, just, it's really helpful in thinking about confirmation mentoring and it, just thinking about it in terms of a ministry. And in any ministry in the church, you need to do some discernment. So I'd really recommend getting together a group of young people, of young people and adults, or of adult leaders um, for your confirmation program um, to just get together and do some praying and discerning and thinking about, okay, who in our congregational community has particular gifts to be a mentor with young people, with confirmands? And then maybe identifying two or three mentors for each confirmand um, before you give those adults a call and asking, you know, would you be willing to serve? Um, in recruiting, um, it's really great to have a clear idea of like, okay, what is the shape of this confirmation program going to look like? How many times are we meeting? You know, what, um, how many years are we going to be preparing? How many months? How many weeks? Whatever. Um, you guys happen to do, um, and to sort of clearly describe to this potential mentor what um, what the goal of this confirmation program is, what their role in that is, um, and what are the responsibilities and expectations for them as mentors. Next slide, please. So screening, um, really important. Screen prospective mentors to determine whether they have the time, commitment, and personal qualities to be a safe and effective mentor. And screen prospective mentees and their parents or guardians about whether they have the time, commitment, and desire to be effectively mentored. Um, so this is where, so you've talked to your potential mentors about you know, what responsibilities and commitments might look like. Um, and this can be where it's really helpful to have something in writing you know, have some sort of letter, um, both to the mentor, but also to the confirmand and their families sort of saying, okay, this is what the program looks like. These are the expectations. This is what you need to do to be confirmed, or this is what you need to do to be a mentor. Um, and that way, throughout the program, you have something to go back to, to say like, okay, this, is, um, this was the expectation. This is what we agreed to. Um, it's really important to make sure that um, that the mentors know what they're getting into and have fully agreed and are willing to um, to be a mentor because it can be really hard and and potentially harmful for um, for a mentor to sort of decide midway through like oh I just you know I don't have time you know I. I'm way too busy, I can't be a mentor. Um, for uh, a confirmand to be, um, to have sort of started to trust in this relationship, um, to walk alongside an adult in their community as they're preparing to claim their own discipleship and then to sort of be abandoned in that, that can be really, really hard. Um, it's also important for uh, mentors to, um, to know what they're getting into in advance and agree to that because at no point during this process do youth want to feel like a burden 
um, to their mentor. Um, Cause well, one, no one just ever wants to feel like a burden, but, um, but if it doesn't feel like this is a mutual relationship, they're feeling like, okay, this mentor is just doing it because they signed up to do it. It's hard to build trust in that. Um, water. Um, also in screening, um, and I know every denomination has a different program around this, but um, for the National, National Mentoring Alliance, they recommend doing background checks with every mentor. Um, and in, in my denomination, we have safeguarding God's children policies, which usually involve background checks and training around child abuse prevention. Um, we love our churches and we love our young people and we want to protect them. Um, and it is hard to talk about the fact that this might go on in our communities, but we, we so owe it to our young people to be prepared to protect them. So whatever safeguarding policy your particular church um, region or denomination has, please follow that when it comes to mentoring. If your Sunday school teachers are required to attend a training, have your mentors attend a training. Um, and not framing this additional training as a burden, but as a huge blessing and making sure that all of God's beloved children are safe and cared for. Next slide, please. Okay, training. Train prospective mentors, mentees, and mentees' parents or legal guardians or responsible adults in basic knowledge, attitudes, and skills needed to build an effective and safe mentoring relationship using culturally appropriate language and tools. Once you have your mentors, give them the tools they need to be good mentors. Um, definitely find a time to all meet together before the confirmation program starts. Give them a copy of the calendar, give them a copy of any books or uh, programs that you might be using for confirmation preparation. Um, so that way they, they know what's gonna be going on in, in confirmation class um, and are able to talk with their, uh, with their confirmands about it. Um, and then it can be really helpful to do some sort of training in active listening um, in sort of, communicating openly with their with their young person so that that trusting relationship can be built over time. Um, oftentimes when I talk to adults about mentoring, they first say, you know, oh, like, you know, I'm not nearly spiritual enough to, to be a good mentor. And then like, oh, and I don't really know all the things. So what would I possibly say to them? Um, or like teenagers are really hard to hard to talk to. Um, so help them help them through that. Give them some questions to ask. Um, confirm, not conform. Does you probably can't see this, but they have a hundred and one questions to ask uh, teenagers to start conversation. Um, and lists like that are really easy to find online. Um, just you know, give them some some tools so they don't feel like they're going into this with with nothing. Um, and um, also, maybe some recommended ways to spend time together of, you know, going to sporting events or meeting for coffee. Um, when mentors feel like, oh, but like, you know, I don't have all the answers. How can I be a good mentor? Training them in this, you know, maybe two hour training before the confirmation program starts, um, teaching them that they do actually have um, all the answers in that they know their own story. They don't need to, you know, be able to explain the the Trinity or mercy and heresies, but they they need to be able to offer up who they are to this young person who's figuring out who they are. Um, so possibly for part of this time, um, giving all of the mentors space to tell their story. Um, and their relationship with God. And like we did at the beginning, asking them about a person who's been a mentor to them. So I realize we're a little low on time. So I'm gonna move along quickly to these last three. Um, so next slide, slide please. 
um, matching and initiating. Match mentors and mentees initiate the mentoring relationship using strategies likely to increase the odds that mentoring relationships will endure and be effective. Um, like I said with the last slide, um, give them some, some tools um, and some space to, to work on sort of building relationship, um, having a service project that they can work on together. Maybe a requirement for your confirmation program is that every confirmation mentor pair will complete some sort of service project and then present on it to the group. Another helpful thing can be having mentors, uh, and I saw this at a few uh, a few churches that I've either been to or talked with, um, the mentors attend every confirmation class. So that way they're really able to have deep conversations about, about the content and what it actually means lived out in their lives. And then just encouraging um, mentors to share what they know, um, share their favorite prayers and Bible passages and, um, and to, to wrestle alongside these young people as they're figuring out what their faith means for them in their life. Next slide. Uh, monitoring and support. Monitor mentor relationship milestones and child safety and support matches through providing ongoing advice, problem solving, training, and access for the duration of each, each relationship. Confirmation mentoring is not a set it, set it and forget it practice. It's really important to, to check in regularly with both confirmands and mentors to evaluate, to help them um, build their relationship, to give them any additional tools or resources they might need. Um, and it can be a good idea to have sort of a regular check-in time. So maybe once a month, check in with all your mentors and just see like, you know, how's everything going? You know, what's come up? Um, and is there anything that I can support you in? Um, and finally, last slide, uh, closure. Facilitate bringing the match to closure in a way that affirms the contribution of the mentor and the mentee and offers them the opportunity to prepare for the closure and assess the experience. Um, in our tradition of confirmation, I think um, the best way this can be lived out is by having the mentor be the sponsor or the presenter for this young person at the confirmation service to sort of make that um, to enact that liturgical step of saying, like, we've walked together in preparation for this day, and I want to stand with you, not for you, but with you as you claim your own discipleship in front of, um, in front of this church. And then um, I think closure, there's a way in which it can feel a little final um, because it's closure. but one of the really important steps um, in, so this young person has just claimed their discipleship in front of the community. Um, I think a mentor can be the ideal person to help them figure out after confirmation, like, okay, what does this mean? What is this, you know, I'm a mature disciple. What does that look like in my school? What does that look like in church? What does that look like in my community? Um, and in our tradition, we have this great, um, this great way of going out two by two. Um, so having these mentor pairs continue in, you know, in sort of a longer term relationship where they're practicing ministry together. So that is a whirlwind of mentoring, um, intergenerational mentoring relationships and confirmation um, and the ways they can really help young people in our especially embodied and incarnate tradition, um, claim their own discipleship of Jesus Christ. So I would love to take any questions that have come up in the minutes we have remaining. Thanks, Kate. That was really great. I feel like um, mentoring is something that's so familiar. Mm -hmm. um, and like you said, I love the language of formal versus natural menta mentoring. Um, and I know um, when I've been looking at our congregational portraits, it's something that seems to be um, happening in, with increased tendency and the, the ministry leaders who feel the most satisfaction with um, what they're doing and feel like they're 
um, integrating youth into congregational life often have mentoring programs. Um, so I'll start with a question actually from Brian and he, uh, that relates kind of to the last point that you made, um, which asks about, um, the mentor mentee relationship. And you talked about this a little bit with the idea of closure, but he said, he asks, um, any thoughts on how to establish long-term mentoring programs without chaining the mentee and mentor together? Yeah. I mean, I think, well, if it's, if it's a relationship that feels like you've been chained together, that's not really going to foster a whole lot of, a lot of trust and community. Um, so you definitely don't want it to feel like this horrible, onerous obligation. Um, so, and I think oftentimes when that happens is when mentoring looks like what the adults want it to look like and not what the youth want it to look like. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think the best way to figure that out for your particular community is to ask the young people like, hey, you know, you many young people feel like adults either don't see them or don't understand them. They dismiss them. Um, getting a group of young people together and just asking, you know, what, what would make it feel like, you know, adults really cared um, about you and your formation, you know, besides just like keeping the youth program in the church basement all the time. Um, so oftentimes it's, it's that walking with, it's meeting youth with what, what they're already passionate about and what they're doing, you know, in crafting a service project, figure out like, okay, what's, you know, asking your confirmant, what are you passionate about? Like, you know, how do you want to live out your ministry in the world? Um, I think other things can be, you know, like just simple, straightforward stuff, like attending their sports games or, or a performance that they're in, um, doing activities um, rather than just like, you know, meeting in the old church basement. Yeah. Here's another related question from Karen. She asks, I wonder if you've used or you have witnessed or heard of any useful or meaningful rituals for beginning and closing these relationships. Mm -hmm. I also think that the idea of closure is permission giving for the relationship to naturally end so that un the uneven expectations um, and matches that are not ideal have the grace to move on. Do you mm -hmm. have any examples? I was thinking, um, like, tell us this year you taught confirmation. What, how did you begin? Did you guys do mentoring? Um, mm -hmm. If so, how did you match people? How did you ritualize the beginning of that relationship? Or what will youth experience this weekend? Can you tell us some stories yeah. either from your own experience this year or from the, the congregations you visited as part of the project? Well, for us, it's been really interesting. For us, confirmation mentoring has happened more on the tail end of the program. So it's really in sort of the translation of like, okay, so you've walked through confirmation. You, you know, you're going to stand in front of, in our tradition, the bishop tomorrow. Um, but then like, what does your ministry look like in the church itself? Um, and using mentors more as a like, um, so you've claimed your discipleship, now what? Um, but I've seen it done any number of ways, um, where there's been mentoring throughout, um, you know, I've seen programs where mentoring exists for all high schoolers, um, who are, who are in the process of, you know, maybe getting confirmed at some point during their high school years. I've seen it sort of exist in the bracketed, we meet for six weeks, you will meet with your mentor for an hour each one of those weeks. Um, and then in terms of, of, um, rituals i've seen a number of of different ones um confirm not conform which is which came out of the episcopal church but i believe is now offered for a number of denominational traditions has um some rituals both opening and closing um the confirmation process um and sort of um, offering that mentoring relationship up to god as well as part of that um and then I think oftentimes our confirmation liturgies themselves just offer these really great um, ways of, of closing um, or marking the transition of these mentoring relationships. In the Episcopal Church, the, um, the mentor would present the confirmand to the bishop um, for a confirmation. 
and then would join the the congregation in saying we will when the bishop asks you know will you support these young people in their ministry um so there's there's ways of marking i think in sort of our existing um liturgies but also i think great opportunities to expand on that as well i think it's just sort of what makes the most sense for for your particular community yeah. From my perspective, I've just been able to read a lot of the portraits that have been written. It seems that there are some different categories of mentoring that are happening. So one thing that I've seen some congregations doing is that they'll have almost peer mentors. So youth who go through the confirmation program one year, the very following year might serve as a mentor. And they're asked in a formal way by a letter from the ministry leader. Um, and, you know, would you like to help lead youth? And and sometimes that's in a really limited way, like come to the camp or the retreat that we're having, two retreats that we're having. Um, and sometimes it's in a more formal way where they're coming regularly. Yeah. Um, and they, for them, it's like you talked about this mutually beneficial relationship. It seems really significant for those youth to feel like they've transitioned from Absolutely. being um, taught to being a teacher, being a leader. Um, and then also there's some congregations that I've heard of that are, um, they'll say to youth, you know, who is a mentor in your life right now or, or um, a role model? Um, would you like to invite them to be a mentor to you this coming year? And mm. for the youth to identify the person is really significant for them, but also for the person. I find when I'm teaching classes, I offer this challenge to um, college students often. I'll say, who in your life do you go to for advice? Like, have you, you know, is there anyone whose opinion you're willing to kind of submit to when you have a real crisis or challenge? Yes. Um, Were there any responses from folks about their experience with mentors? We didn't have anyone write in about that, but I did, reflecting on my own experience, I was thinking the ones that have been most meaningful for me are people who gave me their time and like undivided attention. And they were, often I went to them when mm -hmm. I had experienced some kind of turmoil or I was trying to figure something out or decide what to do with my life at like a turning point. Mm -hmm. And often I think there were probably more formal relationships leading up to that, but then be, those people became natural mentors as I suddenly thought, oh my gosh, who am I going to go to to ask this question? Yeah, and that's a really good point. I mean, you know, in terms of the previous question around like, you know, that, that closure piece, I mean, oftentimes the confirmation service is when those formal mentors from your confirmation program become more natural mentors, where maybe the relationship isn't as structured, but it's still one where you always know that that person is walking with you when you come to those decision moments. Right. Let's end with this question from Lisa. She asks, how would you distinguish between faith role models and faith mentors? The boundary in my own life seems a little bit fuzzy. I think this kind of is on the same yeah. point that we've been talking about. I think for me, the important distinction is, does that person know that they're your mentor? <laughs> um, because, you know, there's plenty of people who are, are role models for me. Um, and there's, you know, a way in which we're all in relationship, you know, being the body of Christ. But does that person know that, you know, that they're your mentor? Because I think that um, that does change a relationship and shape it into something very particular and very holy. Um, and um, and also offers up that mutuality where it's not just you looking up to someone, but um, but that um, but that mentor is also practicing this self-giving love that they're that they're aware of. But I mean, I think there's definitely a lot of overlap and fuzziness there as well. Yeah. When I think about my own mentors in my life, um, like Desmond Tutu does not know me. Um, <laughs> he doesn't, I mean, he offers me advice through the words of books or speeches, yeah. but um, he, we don't have like a relationship, you know, I've never met him. So in my mind, like you were saying, um, do they know that you're, they're your mentor? Like he would not know, you know, <laughs> if he was my mentor, but um, the mentors in my life yeah. might not ha take on the formal title, but they do know. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think the Holy spirit makes it a little bit fuzzier which, which I really enjoy. <laughs> 
including a bit of mystery in these relationships is always good. Well, thank you so much that I learned a ton and I'm so glad that you've been able to do this project and research. I'm looking forward to seeing if um, what more comes out of your research project um, that will enrich the ministries of people doing confirmation in the Episcopal Church, but also um, anyone doing confirmation ministry. Um, for all of you who joined us, thank you for um, for watching and participating or listening through a podcast. You can uh, learn more on different topics at theconfirmationproject.com. You can sign up to be a part of our, our uh, list that when we have something new pop up or an event happening or someone speaking in your area, um, we'll let you know about that as well. If you would like to be on that list, you can sign up through our website. Have a lovely um, day. And we'll hope to hear from you um, through, I guess, through our website. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for joining us.